All right. While you guys are still standing, let's. Uh, will you guys pray this with me from Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through seventeen? We're going to begin with a prayer, and then I'll go ahead and read it for us. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have, been wa- they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You guys may be seated. In this text, this beautiful text, we get a great picture of what our new kingdom and our new king will be like. I've spent a lot of time through Revelation saying things like, we don't belong to the empires of earth, that we belong to a different kingdom with a different king. We don't always have good picture of what this will look like in Scripture, but here in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, we have one of the best pictures of our new kingdom. This is a window into what our real world looks like, and it's a beautiful scene, and God who sits on the throne and His Lamb are beautiful as well. As we see this new kingdom, this is what we strive for as Christians. We strive to, to live for this and to be like this. This is how we, we live our lives for eternity, but we pray that God's kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. We prayed that today as Josiah led us. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are trying to live out this new kingdom on earth and we know it's not easy. We know that there will be great times of tribulation, And there are a lot of barriers, but nonetheless, we continue to try. We continue to strive. We continue to desire to walk with Jesus. One of the first elements of beauty that we get to see in this new kingdom, this picture, 
is the people, the people of God, the people from every corner of the earth, every tribe, nation, and tongue. When we, when we as Christians, we walk in the light of Christ, we are not colorblind. In fact, we see all the different colors and all the different races. We hear all the different languages. If we were there, if we could picture ourselves there in this scene, I'm sure we'd smell smells that we've never smelt before. Ones that we are not really accustomed to. And others will smell us that they're not accustomed to us. We'd see level of affluence from poor to rich. All who surrendered and gave everything that they had to Jesus. We'd see the difference that we'd see the differences and embrace one another because we are before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We'd celebrate the differences and we'd finally understand that not every Christian has to look like us or do things like us. The diversity in this brief window into heaven is stunning and it's beautiful. I know that we worship God because he is awesome and because Christ died for us. But there is a part of me that is in complete awe and utter worship of God that only God could bring a crowd like this together. Having all the people there, all the tribes and all the nations with all the differences and yet the same Christ who stirs each other's or who stirs everyone's heart in worship. This is why as Christians we strive to not be racist. Why we strive not to put down other cultures that we don't understand. We long to live out this other kingdom, this brief picture that God has shown us, the one that we really belong to. We can open our arms to those who are not like us and love them. And this picture shows us that they that these people are more like us than even some who look like us. Because we are truly made one in the light of Christ. He came for the world. Christ came for the world. And he won the world. And this is seen here in this brief picture of heaven. And in this, our new, new kingdom with our fellow citizens, the picture reveals the ignorance of racism especially where Christians are concerned. There is no room for racism in eternity. Amen? Our kingdom is the most diverse kingdom that has ever been formed, that will ever be formed. And we get to embrace this on heaven as it is on earth with all its complexities and all its beauties. We get to strive to live this out. We see this vast array of people, a multitude, by the way, that no one could number. They were all dressed in white and waving palm branches, which palm branches were a political symbol. They were, they were a political symbol in the Roman culture. They were a symbol of victory and an ushering in of peace and eternal life. When, when uh, people would walk into cities and after a victory of war, they would wave these palm branches. And here we see these people clothed in white, waving palm branches with a loud voice making a very political statement. They say this, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. This word salvation is a political word that was used throughout the Roman Empire to speak to the Romans about the Roman Empire 
and what they were said to bring. The word here is soteria. And the first readers of this would have understand this word soteria because they would have heard it used over and over and over again to mean that this word salvation, this word soteria is to bring peace and security and welfare to the people that it protects. And would you use this word towards the Roman Empire or any empire, you are saying that this is what the Roman Empire provides. The Roman Empire provides salvation. They provide peace, security, and welfare. And whereas we may not use the word salvation, we are even familiar with words that are peace and security and welfare. Even today, there are words that we use to describe the empires that we live in, or at least what the empire is supposed to bring. And the reason why I say this is a political saying, because it is an intentional, the, the Jesus, as he wrote us a letter in Revelation and gave it to John, he's intentionally reshifting our political allegiances. We don't belong to the empire or its idols. None of them can save us. None of them can bring us true peace and security or welfare. We belong to our God and to the Lamb. Our salvation comes only from Him. And when we cry out that salvation belongs to to God and to the Lamb, we are saying at the same time that salvation does not belong to anyone or anything else. No person, no nation, no politic, no technology can save us. Only God can save us. Only God can truly provide the peace, the security, and welfare that we long for. If you notice here, there are not 144,000 people saying this. So there's, there's a break away from the 144 numbered people in Revelation chapter 7. There are so many here that they cannot be counted. This crowd is saying This large crowd is saying salvation belongs to the Lord. And I think the fact that it's said in a crowd means that salvation is not best seen individually, although we can experience salvation individually, but it's best seen in a collective. It's best seen in the people of God. We can be saved individually, but God sees the whole of salvation and he gives us a picture of it here. And this salvation we are celebrating in this picture is the whole salvation picture. It's not just an individualistic salvation, but it's God's God's grand view of salvation. And this is why I believe when we take communion, when we take this, when we take Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, it's not just you and Jesus' time. It's not just you and your family in Jesus' time. When we take communion, when we partake in communion, we are saying together, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb whose body was broken and His blood was shed for us to create this in us. And as we take it, we minister to one another the us-ness of Jesus' salvation, the grand scheme of things in what God is doing. And as we look at this multinational group of people so vast that they can't even be numbered, we also see the angels, we see the elders, 
we see the four living creatures. And as we've already seen in Revelation, and they are all bowing down to the center, where at the center is God's throne and the Lamb is there with Him. And these four living creatures and the elders and the angels said, Amen to what the people said. They said, Amen, that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And they, as they said, Amen, Amen means, yes, I agree. So they all chip in their voices in agreement. They, and then they add to salvation, all blessing, all glory, all wisdom, all thanksgiving, all honor, all power, and all might. These two are to our God forever and ever. Not just salvation, but all this is added. In this new kingdom, it is the only kingdom where our worship is not misplaced or misdirected, but is properly put towards the throne of God. Revelation as a book, as a whole, is concerned about our worship. The book that John has put together that Jesus wrote to us this letter spends a lot of time showing us scenes of worship. Scenes where we bow down or angels are bowing down or elders are bowing down, where crowns are being thrown down, where we prostrate ourselves before the Lord. Because when our worship is misdirected or misplaced, that's when things are not right and we need to get right with Jesus. In this scene, one of the elders comes up to John and says, who are these clothed in right clothes, white clothes and where do they come from? And I love John's reply back. He says, sir, you know. And the elder replied that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they've been made white in the blood of the lamb. And two things I want to say about what this elder said. Number one, clothed in white by the blood of the lamb. It's an it's a interesting picture. We know that white in this context is a symbol for purity. In purity, we no longer have the stains of sin. We are no longer marred by our flaws. We are made pure. We are made clean. We are made spotless. And all of this because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can clean us. We rely 100% on Jesus' blood for cleansing us from sin. Nothing else will do the trick. No good works, no good karma, no tithe or gift can clean, can clean us. We can't pay for it. We can't get enough counseling to get rid of our sin. Only Jesus can take away our sin. We have nothing to bring or offer. Jesus brings it all. His death on the cross is so significant for us. It is so miraculous and amazing. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all, all our sin and leaves us pure and white. When God looks at us, he sees us just like Jesus does. Not as damaged good, not as people to be disappointed in, but as people worth giving up his very life for people worth giving up his very blood for. And he sees us as pure. And this is a part of his grace. The second thing I'd say about what the, the elders said is we have this word tribulation, not only tribulation, but great tribulation. There is more 
to, to come about this word in future sermons for sure. But what does it have for us today? The truth is, is that there are a lot of tribulations in this world. And I'd love for us today to rethink the word tribulation, even though it says great tribulation. But as Revelation is concerned with our worship, a great state of tribulation, or tribulation is the great state of trouble or suffering. I believe that the great tribulation comes from ongoing belief in fake salvations. When honor and glory and praise and salvation is given to something other than Jesus Christ, that is a fake salvation. When salvation is giving away to anything other than God and to the Lamb, today we call this idolatry, and idolatry causes great tribulation. The ongoing of fake salvations happen around us all the time, and oftentimes we even give in to them. We see them, and oftentimes we do give in to them. And let me give a, a silly example, but one that I think makes this point. How many of us lock our doors to our house? I know on our sliding glass door here, we have a lock, and then we have the stick in there. On our front door, we have a chain, a deadbolt, and the, the other lock. I'd imagine that we all lock our doors. But why do we do this? We do this because locks prevent us from, prevent somebody from breaking in. They prevent uninvited intruders into our homes. In a way, we believe that locks protect us. And in a way, they do. But the truth of this new kingdom is more real. Only God is our protection. God is our protection. If someone really wanted to get into our house, the lock is not really going to save you, is it? The uninvited guest can get in. And we place our, if we place our hopes in lock or attribute salvation to our security systems, that is misplaced salvation. It is attacking the truth with a less truth or, or a false truth. There are... The other ways that we rely on fake salvations and fake saviors in this world as well. I think about when we rely on our finances, when we rely on our government or our government structure or our political party, when we rely on our social or moral or cultures to fill in everything that we need or desire, everything that we seek, we are in these things There is fake salvation that never give us this white robe. It never brings the purity that we desire and that we seek and that only Jesus can bring to us. We work, as Christians, we work in a different economy than the one that is seen in this world. We who are of Christ, He is our only true salvation. And in this picture given to us of heaven in Revelation chapter 7, We get a glimpse of that truth and we get to set aside all fake saviors and attempt to worship Jesus with all our hearts. And we see over and over in the scriptures that Jesus is really our everything. He is our everything. I think this really hit me hard last year when we were in Psalm 124 verses 1 and 2. And I've been meditating on them since we were in there last year. 
If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose against us, or you could even say when a great tribulation comes. Jesus is our everything. If he removed his hand of grace from humanity, I would hate to see what would become. We'd see how true it is that Jesus provides it all. And God doesn't just say he is our everything. He actually spells it out for us in scriptures over and over and over again. And in this picture of heaven, we are left with a beautiful and fuller picture of God and our lamb and seven things that he provides for those who are in heaven. But as, but as God gives them now, we have these things to say that God provides these things for us. God does this for us. So if we have any of them, we have his grace with us, even if it's common grace. He provides from his throne, he provides shelter and presence, food and drink, shade from the heat, protection from the elements, shepherding, guidance, and he will wipe away our tears. It's as if God knew Maslow's hierarchy of needs and he covers them all. God really is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we give up everything because God is our everything. And anything that claims to save us other than God who is on the throne and his lamb are false. We can see in shelter that he provides, in the shade, in uh, shelter and shade and protection, that God cares about our basic needs. This picture of heaven shows us that God cares about what's happening on earth. He really does care where and how we live. He cares about covering us with his goodness and his love. He cares that we have a place and that that place, wherever we are, is in his presence. And he will take care of us and provide for us in the place that he has seen and given to us. We can see From this, that in food and drink, that God gives us our daily bread as we ask for, even as we prayed for this morning. All food and drink that we partake in comes from him. Every morsel, every crumb. And in this, we can see that God isn't just in heaven sitting around waiting for us to get to him with a feast. We get to see a bit of heaven and a bit of grace with each bite of food that we take, with each glass of cold water or whatever preferred beverage you have. We can see God's grace in soup and bread. We can see it in his provision for food. We can see in that God's great love for us. We can see here from this text when he says that he's shepherding us and he guides us, that God is the one who leads us, which means we are to follow him. He leads us into places that he knows are best for us. They may not always feel like they are the best, but he knows. And there is little in scripture to suggest that God's people won't see hard times. In fact, quite the opposite. But we get to know that even in these hard times, in the hard places of life, that God can still lead us and guide us and walk with us through them. And we can also see from the shepherding and guidance that we need it. We need it desperately. Left to ourselves, we'd get lost. Left to ourselves, we'd fall in pits. 
and we need to follow Jesus. There are times when it is hard or he, hard to see or hear his direction, but as we wait for his small voice, as we seek for peace and to listen to Christ, he will lead us. He is constantly calling out for us or calling out to us. We get to train our ears to hear his call. And there are times maybe when we can't hear because he wants us to wait. Oftentimes in this world, we are in too big of a hurry. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he is not in the same type of hurry that we are. We can see here from this list of seven things, the presence from the presence and the wiping away of our tears that number one, God is with us. In being with us, he can see our pain. Being with us, we know that he cares, not only for our physical, but our mental, emotional, and spiritual health as well. We get to rely on him for mental and emotional health as well as physical and spiritual health. For me, just the fact that he is present in my life brings me comfort. To know that God is there at all times, whatever attitude or state I'm in, I think this is why when we cry out to him, when we complain to him, when we praise him, when we sing to him, he knows what we're talking about because he's with us. He actually never leaves us and he can't leave us because it's not in his nature to abandon those who are his. He is a good father. He sees, he knows, he cares far more than we can think or imagine. I am so glad that we get this picture of our real kingdom and of our real God and of the Lamb. We need this picture. We need this reminder of His salvation, of how much He does for us and how much He cares for us and how different His kingdom and economy are than the ones we see here on earth. Even in persecution and great tribulation, even in that, God is still our all in all and we can trust him. Grace and Mercy Church, my prayer for us this week is that we will see the realness of God's kingdom. Even if all we can see is earth and the earthly empires, that we will know that God's kingdom is more real, that we will see God's kingdom in all its beauty for humanity and, and the beauty of our Savior, and that we will pray in earnest, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and that God will use us to help answer that prayer, use us, his followers, to help answer that prayer, that we may be able to show glimpses of heaven on earth through the power of God's Holy Spirit working in and through us, that we may listen and understand and follow Jesus, that we may reflect the true goodness of Jesus to this broken earth, this world, these empires that are false, all the false saviors that come in, that our point are our lives can point to the true kingdom with the true king, the one who is seated on the throne forever and ever to our God and to the lamb. That we need this in our life. We need his love more than we can imagine. So Jesus, will you please be in our lives? 
Will you please speak to us about the realness and sincerity of your kingdom over against the empires that are here on earth? Can we work this out in our lives and be the answer to our own prayers that you give us? In Jesus' name, amen.